RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. We are at RPG LL Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, RPGLLPodcast at gmail.com, and check us out online at RPGLessonsLearned.com. Hi, welcome to RPG Lessons Learned, the show where you can learn from our mistakes. With me today, oh my god, miracle of miracles, wonder of wonders. Both Mike and Brian on the same episode at the same time with me. Got the band back together. We do. I remember when it was Brian and Mike and not Mike and Brian, so I'm a little hurt. Well, attendance does that. Yeah. (laughs) Ouch. Life has been insane. You know, not this episode. We should do an episode where we just kind of catch up on what's been going on. A catch-up fluff episode. I think after... What episode are we on, Brian? Uh, This will be episode 95. After 95 episodes where we do a pretty good job not having a lot of fluff content, we should have just a whole fluff episode. Yeah, we could. Yeah. People like that. Yeah, I don't want to jump the shark too badly. We, we, we might do it for fun. It could right. be fun for a change, yeah. So we're talking about a game that we played uh, literally one week and one day ago that I ran in World of Dungeons, and I called it Hatari Tower. And it was not named after the Atari system. It was actually named after a, a John Wayne movie that is terrible, <laughs> um, but also great. I have to interject real quick. I think this might have been the first movie theme based game that none of us got the reference for. Congratulations, well, I, Dusty. Actually, I stole the title from that movie, but nothing else is taken from that movie. Ah, okay. I, I got this adventure from somewhere, and, and I wasn't going to tell you where, Mike, and you bringing up. I almost want to tell you, but I'm so worried it'll ruin it, or it'll cheapen it, or you'll think less of me. I would never think less of you, Dusty. <laughs> we'll see. At the end, I might tell you where it came from. We'll see how I feel about it. I, I, I This is not like a tease thing where I'm trying to like, like t- tantalize the audience. I'm honestly not sure I'm going to share it. All right. Let's let's rate this game. So it was back to the World of, D- of Dungeons campaign. It was those characters that we made for a one-shot. Uh, listeners might remember that we played the, the Frozen game, the Frozen session, where we had Ursula instead of Elsa and all that. That was in the system with these characters. So we revisited this world. We played in person. You guys came over to my house. It was awesome to uh, get back together for for an in-person session. And I want to know your your numeric ratings and a quick sentence about why you rated the session, what you rated it. Let's start with Brian. Uh, I gave it a five. In my mind, it was, you know, more or less an average game with more or less an average sort of system. I had a couple issues with it. I had a lot of, I had a ton of fun, uh, but I had a couple issues with it, mostly with the system. Uh, you know, as many games as we played now, uh, I, I, thinking statistically, uh, it, it's really right in the middle. And in, in that case, it's really a five. So I, I, I couldn't score it any higher, and I definitely didn't want to score it any lower. Mike? So I went with a seven. Uh, of course, being biased towards enjoying World of Dungeons and more importantly, enjoying my character in these World of Dungeon campaigns we've done, I, I uh, automatically floated to the top. But I think what kept me from going a little bit higher was uh, the the feeling of overwhelming threat in this dungeon, right? It, it felt like everything we touched would suddenly blow up on us if we touched it the wrong way. And I think it kept us from making, you know, a lot of a lot of mistakes that could have been really fun, but would have also resulted in, in our deaths. Ooh, that's interesting. Uh, so I rated the game a six. Uh, Brian, I, my thinking was more or less in line with yours. This session was about average. There there was a lot I could have done better. 
uh, that I could have done more more good. I, I can't think of the right. You sound like my seven year old. Yeah, where I was going with more. Um, I could have done better. I could have had visuals. I could have had props. I could have pulled something magical out of my hat. Uh, and as it was, it was just a pretty good session. And being a pretty good session, I went with six. So we're going to do something different with feedback today, something that's uh, a pretty normal feedback exercise in the workplace. God knows that Brian, Mike, and I have lived through more than enough of these. Yeah, It's called Start, Stop, and Continue. So the rating was for the session. The Start, Stop, and Continue is is for me, the GM, um, specifically when running uh, this session or, or, or this game, this campaign. So a specific start, stop, continue. So start things you want to see more of or you want to see that you're not seeing. Stop things that you, you know, that, that you're seeing that need to go away and continue things that you're seeing that you like. Let's start with start. Brian, what should I start doing? Um, I'm, I'm not saying that you didn't do it in this game, but I really think you need to start like really being lethal. Uh, I mean, we've been playing long enough to where... Um, I think sometimes we get complacent with the way that we play. And one thing to keep things fresh is, you know, holy crap, this system is lethal. So don't be afraid to kill us. Don't be afraid to, you know, uh, let us, uh, uh, you know, suffer the pain of loss a little bit. Um, and, you know, maybe it might toughen us as players. Uh, it, you know, I I think that um, we've grown a lot, but we still have a lot of growing left to do. And to, to really be mature mature about things and uh, approaching things with um with an adult mindset and you know adult not being you know uh, risque or whatever but adult being like really mature and everything I would I would say uh, maybe toughen us up a little bit and you know if if he dies he dies. With that being said, I really love my character in this campaign, so please kill everybody else except Bragon. That's all I got to say. <laughs> I mean, my, my character. Uh, almost died like and i was entirely okay with that i was actually a little sad i think when my character ended up living i uh, forgot the part where your character died when did your character almost die uh i like think twice. The first, the, yeah the first time it took the first time my character took damage i mean i started off with two hit points um that's yeah. right i forgot i forgot we started the session off rolling your character yeah because brian you hadn't played in our previous two sessions in this nope. campaign nope uh so uh Mike and Nathan, I were level two, I guess, at that this point. I'm level one, and my character, you know, my character was the glass cannon, and uh, certainly, certainly fragile. So we rolled your hit points, and you had two hit points. Yep. I, I think I think a lot of that came down to when when we uh, the three of us when when Nathan, Chris, and I originally rolled our characters for World of Dungeons. I think we took a different approach to it to when Brian did right. So we took like a good half hour 45 minutes to create our characters and this super simple you know super simple three-page system we still took like half an hour easily to to think about what we were doing and putting it together and i think brian kind of made more of a rust approach because it was so simple and didn't really have a chance to kind of think about what would work for optimizing his character now that i say that out kind of out loud i'm kind of saying we took the opportunity to cheese our characters up where brian didn't have that opportunity and, and i think it hurt i don't know that i had really the opportunity to optimize so much i think it did optimize as far as you know like this the attributes that i rolled uh i mean i can't help that my character really had two hit points it's just the way it worked out true well i mean you could have done like armor and stuff which you didn't but, I mean, I had, I had a shield and I had light armor. 
You but had I, a shield at the end of the game, though, right? Because I gave you a shield. Oh yeah. What? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Yeah. At the end of the game. <laughs> yeah. So, like, like I said, I, I think they're they're maybe with a little more investment of time, it wouldn't have been as glass cannon, and you might have been able to make a little more more rounded character that would have been less likely to die. So, do you feel like I went easy on you in this session, Brian, to to bring you back to life? Um. I mean, well, I mean, it wasn't so much. I don't feel that you went too easy i feel that in g- generally in most games you do um i feel in this one i mean unless i'm wrong it, it, i mean you didn't pull any punches my character just happened to die or happened to go down but the mechanics uh were such that you know i was a heal potion away from you know uh being resuscitated so i don't think you went easy on me but maybe maybe you did and i just didn't realize it so fun fact and i just reviewed the rules to make certain there's no real death and dying rules here. There, there's no real rule about what happens when your hit points get reduced to zero. Are you unconscious or are you dead? How long can you be down? Um, there's just a very brief paragraph with just uh, one, two, three, four sentences about how to roll your hit die and how to re-roll your hit die when you when you rest or when you uh, are attended by a healer. And that's it. So... We could have said at zero hit points, you're, you're simply dead. I didn't want to play that way. I don't even feel like, I feel like that's more old school than old school. So I, you weren't down for long. You were down very briefly and someone invested a heal potion to get you back up. Yeah. And uh, I mean, again, it, not a lot of rules around this. So at that point, it was kind of transparent to me. And again, it was my first play of the system. No, sure. And, and so- I'm not trying to resist your feedback. I'm just trying to really think it through. Yeah, no, like, no, no. Uh, yeah, honestly, <laughs> as we were going through a pre-show, we we're sort of talking through ideas of what we want to do for a start, stop, and continue, continue. And I didn't have a stop, but I do now. So when we get to that, <laughs> I'm kind of excited to share that. Um, but yeah, I think we're all trying to figure this this out as we go because we're used to like these systems with like this framework that provides for usually not everything, but most things. This doesn't have that. Yeah. Oh no, we're at zero hit points. Let, how does the system work? Let's turn to the death and dying chapter or the death and dying page of rules. And this has nothing. He just had to figure it out. Okay. Um, good feedback. Mike, what should I start doing? Yeah, I'm still blank on start. I was hoping by the time we got here, I could come up with something for start, but I'm still struggling with that. So maybe we pass for now and I'll see if I have something by the end of the episode. Okay. Stop. Brian. What should I stop doing? Playing World of Dungeons. <laughs> Tell me about that. <laughs> I, you know, we, we've talked about it before. I like games. I like systems that, you know, are kind of heavy on rules. And uh, there's a lot of uh, structure to. And we can refer to the death and dying page. Or we can refer to the, you know, uh, <laughs> the, uh, oh, what what is it? The grappling page <laughs> and, and all of that. You know, we don't have it with this. So it this is really, really improvisational, way more improvisational than I'm used to. Not that improvisational isn't nice, but I like having rules to adjudicate things by. And I like having a system where I can, you know, understand black and white. You know, I, let me, like in the margins or as you as GM and us as the players, you know, like the, the gray lines, we can... We can play with that, you know, in the margins, but like there's certain things I think we need, like, God, <laughs> going back to work, like, you know, uh, white lines, bright lines, 
you know, w- w- sometimes we need bright lines and, you know, this doesn't really have any. So uh, I don't know how comfortable I am with that, honestly. So maybe this is an opportunity for us to make a World of Dungeons death and dying rule, right? Put it just in the regular rules of the 2d6 roll, where if you go down to zero hit points, you you get a roll. If you roll 10 or higher, you're back up with one hit point. If you roll medium, you're not dead, but you get another try. And if you roll the low, then that's all she wrote. I I love that idea. I think what we should do, uh, the way that I want to work the system out to make it to work that way, let's just take the D&D 4E rule book and use that. I I forgot the D&D 4E rules. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there were a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Interesting. And Brian, this is something, you've consistently said this, and you want a simulation. You don't want an abstraction. The more abstract the rules are, the less you like it. And, I mean, we had a protracted conversation around, when you, when you were rolling your Castles and Crusades character, around, ex, ex, justify to me, Dusty, why my hit points double when I go to level yeah. two. Yeah, I did. I, yeah. I, I, it just and, didn't make sense. And, that, and this, that, that doesn't happen in fourth edition, to your point. In 4th edition, you start off, God, I've forgotten hit points in 4th edition. So someone out there is going to crucify me. But you start off with, a, I think, a flat number plus your constitution score. Not your modifier, your score. So if you have a con of 18, you're adding 18 to whatever the base hit points are for that racer class. I forget which. So you can have a starting character with like 20, 30 hit points. And then when you go up, when you go up a level, you don't get that many more hit points. It doesn't double. It's a, signif- it's a more significant percentage from first level to second level. It's always the steepest percentage climb. But uh, to your point, in your first system that you played, starting characters had a fair number of hit points, and you certainly gained some at second level, but you didn't double them. Yeah, and I guess maybe the way that I'm playing this, I, I didn't play my character like a level one character, and I really should, and that's on me. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, I think this is a great system to play. Like something like this, not necessarily the system, but something like this would be great to play with somebody who is uh, just getting started, maybe a younger player, but um, not like, you know, my kids, I think. Uh, but I, yeah, I think for like the, I think for somebody who is a, a really seasoned tabletop player, this is probably not enough. As I mature into my role playing comforts and my role playing career, I, I want, I fall in love more and more with, with rules light systems. I want to love rules like systems more and more. Now, having said that, there, there are a couple of issues with the system, a couple of issues with some other rules light systems that Mike and I have recently tried, or supposedly rules light systems. And I have issues with I have issues with fade. I have issues with lots of systems that are supposed to be rules light. But um, I don't know, Brian. Maybe I'm there with you. And and in fact, here's what I want to do, and I want to do it very soon. I want to play a fourth edition game. We talked Ooh. about it last year. I have bought more 4th edition books. <laughs> Are there more 4th edition books than what you had? Well, I picked up some. I picked up a Goodman, a Goodman Games used book from a used bookstore called From Here to There, From There to Here. I forget. It was, it was a 4th edition um, supplement about travel, and it's got some good adventures in it. And someone was selling off their 4E collection, and I had never picked up Martial Powers, Arcane Powers, you know, all that. I picked all those up. So I've got more 4th edition books than I ever have. In fact, I now have extra copies of Heroes of the Fallen Kingdoms and Heroes of the Forgotten Realms. So I've got some extra copies of the players' books. Uh, We should play some 4th edition. I now own the Keep on the Shadowfell, which I missed because I started playing 4E late when that adventure had fallen out of favor for being too lethal. 
I think playing a super lethal, you know, first through third level dungeon crawl with dungeon tiles and some minis oh. on a map. Ooh. But we say that, Brian. We played BFRPG. We played uh, Fortress of the Iron Duke. And I really don't think you enjoyed it at all. Man, Fortress of the Iron Duke. I, so that was so... How That was what, 2014? 2015? No, that was earlier this year, my friend. Was I in, Did I play that game? Didn't you? I don't think so. Mike, was he there for that? Uh, I think so. I, it feels like you were. I'll have to go back and listen to the episode, but I wasn't on the episode, and I didn't remember the game. So, uh, But it's it's been a while since I listened to that. I remember editing the episode and listening to it, but I, I, I wasn't on that episode, I don't believe. Hmm. You know, though, as soon as as soon as you say we well, have to go back and try 4E again, the only thing I can think about is, oh man, I had to print out a ton of cards and spell grids and blast radii. Mm, fourth, dude, I just gave away. I don't even know if I told you guys this. Remember when I backed that Reaper Miniatures Kickstarter? Actually, those two Kickstarters. All those bones minis. All those bones minis. They've <laughs> you been gave in them a tub. They've been in a sitting in a tub in my garage, like you know, six hundred minis, thousand minis, whatever it was. They've been sitting in a tub in my garage for years since two thousand fourteen, so five years, um, for a long time. And I finally gave them all to Joey at work. So it's funny you should mention that when I was cleaning out the Corolla for trade in, I actually found those two bones minis I bought in Connecticut like years and years ago. So if we need a beholder. And I can't even remember what the other one is, but if we need like two minis, I've got like two monsters <laughs> that have been in the trunk of a car for like six years. What I didn't get rid of are my boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of Pathfinder pawns. So when we play 4E, we're going to use Pathfinder pawns to play on the grid. But I really think, Brian, you're, you're going to be taken aback by how much you don't like 4E, but I hey. want to try it. I want to give you that chance to see what you think of it. I appreciate that. And I went back, and I... That was the game that we abandoned, isn't it? It is the game that we yeah, abandoned. Yeah, so I was I was in that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that as a group we were feeling it, uh, but you guys... I think you guys abandoned it without me. Uh, I, I think I, I wasn't able to make the follow-up game, and you guys decided just not to play anymore, if I remember right. That's when you decided to move to the... Um, I guess the, the Frozen game. Yeah, I think that's the, that is what kicked off our our world of dungeons. Campaign. Yeah, so uh, like I like I it was okay, uh, but I think you guys were feeling it, not feeling it as much as I, a little less than I was feeling it. All right, so Brian's stop is stop playing rules light systems. Um, Mike, what's your stop? Um, I just had um, there there was a couple of frustrating points with this game, right? And I think it kind of came to the fact that we didn't have characters with skills to overcome the specific obstacle right so specifically i'm thinking about there was one point where we encountered a door it was locked and we knew enough that there was like this deadly poison needle inside the lock where if we messed with it incorrectly we would die right so we we tried strength we couldn't strength down the door we didn't have anybody who could lock pick to lock pick the door we didn't have a good enough climbing ability to like climb the scales of the wall or we didn't even have equipment to climb and scale into a window every time we thought about going back to town for supplies there was like a threat that the guides we hired would betray us so we we kind of got stuck right and it got a little frustrating that we got to that point where basically it just turned into our wizard had to blow spell slots to physically destroy the door with lightning. 
And I don't know if the for, lock, for, not the door. The sorry, lock. the lock. The lock. He he destroyed the lock with lightning. That that felt a little frustrating to me, right? It's like we we simply don't have the tools to do the specific thing we need to do. So we're having to use tools that you might not normally use. I, you know, we never prepare for the door. It's always the door. We it is. We always want to burn it. We always want, want to, you know, power our way through it. But we are never prepared for the door. I take that more on us as players. That we just, that basic thing, that element that we have to deal with every single day, dozens or hundreds of times, we don't think about it. So we should, well, pre- we should be prepared to handle doors when we start a game in reality most doors are not super structurally sound objects right if it's a fortress that we're breaking into they usually are Eh, maybe not you can weaken hinges you can weaken mortar around you know stones that the hinges are connected to it's a door should not be a a party defeating moment right the you, you shouldn't ever come up against a door and like oh nope well we're all w's we can't figure out how to either brute force this door down or take off the hinges or something like that right there's there's no door no, hinges shouldn't be a, a you know open from the outside ever so it, hin- if it's like an old ass busted fortress the hinges are absolutely going to be exposed all right so so let me uh let me catch up the audience for, for where we are in the adventure, right? You guys get the adventure. The adventure is, hey, there's this wizard's tower on the edge of town that appears and disappears, and it's appeared, and the, the, the mages in town are hiring people to go try to get books out of this tower. You guys go there. You uh, First of all, there's the wall, and you got to figure out your way past the wall. You guys figure out the wall. The wall is a big spiral. You figure out that there's optical, there's a couple optical illusions that are not real illusions, just optical illusions, like in Labyrinth. And you figure out how to work your way to, to inside the wall. Inside the wall, you find all these statues that are super realistic, like all statues in D&D. And of course, you realize they're, they're petrified people, petrified adventurers. The people who never came back from this dungeon, uh, as the town was so fond of telling everyone, people don't come back. So the few people that figured out the wall, they're now stuck in the courtyard of the tower as statues. You kill the cockatrice that had been statuing everyone. And at that point, and here's what I loved about this door corundrum. At that point, you have made it the furthest of anyone that's ever tried this. Everyone <laughs> else who even makes it into the wall get killed by the by by the by the stone chicken, by the magic evil chicken that turns people into stone. So you've made it the farthest. And this is the first ever game where you guys hired hirelings. It's our first time dealing with hirelings. And you use the hirelings to get past a major puzzle for me, which is how do you find this tower? And I start quizzing you guys on how you're going to find the tower. And you're like, well, I hired the expert. He can just take us there. He's from town. And I was like, oh, shit, you're right. You did do that. (laughs) I forgot about that. (laughs) So you had just gimmicked me out of a major puzzle. Now you've made it the farthest. And I loved you guys didn't have the equipment. You're like, I'll go back to town. And I'm like, uh, okay, make a wisdom roll. And one of you succeeded. And I was like... If you hadn't succeeded, I was going to let you go back to town, and I was going to have those two guides sell the secret of the spiral wall and tell everyone that you killed the cockatrice, and now anyone can get there. But you succeeded in your wisdom roll, and I had you figure out that would happen. So now, if you go back to town, that's the consequence that you draw. If you try to stay, you don't have adequate equipment for the door. It is a fortress, so the hinges are not on the outside because wizards aren't stupid. The wizard's first rule is that people are stupid. 
but wizards aren't stupid. So the hinges are on the inside. It's a stout door. It's made to be the front door of a fort. Um, I felt good about it being tough to get into. Having said that, Mike, I do accept your feedback that it got frustrating. And what I should have done was let you bash your head against a few things. And then I should have said, okay, you know what? You have a hammer or you have a hatchet. You have a camping hatchet. Um, If you want to just say, I invest eight hours or four hours or however many hours in hatcheting my way through the door while leaving the lock alone, then I should have just let you get past it. I think that maybe would have solved it. But I will ask you, what's your ideal path here? What should I have ideally said? Honestly, I think that would have taken care of it. And that's normally how you handle it in the past, right? When when we're out of tools, but it's an obvious solution, and we know that eventually, with enough time and brute force, we'll be able to brute force our way through it. Usually in the past, that does get a hand wave, which some people say is right. Some people may say is wrong, but I just know that's that's how we've handled it in the past. So I think that was kind of my expectation in in this game. And when that didn't happen, it got a little more frustrating. Yeah, and I largely agree with you. I mean, the basic premise of that hand-waving is that the world around us is much more fragile than we'd really like to think of it as. I mean, standing in, in the room that I'm in right now, I could exit this room through a sheetrock wall if I wanted to, and it wouldn't take that long. It would take surprisingly little time. But convention, and you know, not wanting to hire a contractor, is what keeps us from doing that. I so, just had a vision of you busting through your bedroom wall Kool-Aid like man. the Kool-Aid man. Oh, yeah. Boy, that was that was Randy Savage. What does the Kool-Aid man say? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Is it? Yeah. Just less Randy Savage-like. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, the, the Kool-Aid man and Randy Savage are now forever linked in my mind. They are right, kindred well, spirits. That's good feedback. I, I should give a puzzle a few minutes and then, all right, let's get past it because it's frustrating. Okay, fair enough. That's a good stop. Let's talk about continues. Brian, what should I continue doing? What do you like? Uh, I, what I really liked about this is there are several things that we didn't do, um, and they will forever be mysteries, and I love that. Um, if I know that you're not going to tell me what I should have done or how I could have approached something differently or what would have happened, I'm less inclined to you know just skip through it. So you know, I, I, I am more inclined to you know savor the moments maybe you know too uh romantic a way of putting it but i'm more likely to go through the effort to experience um you know whatever you've put in front of us and you know there's certain things that we knowingly skipped because we didn't want to die and by certain things you mean like a lot of things a lot of things yes most of the dungeon yeah most of the dungeon let's see what all you skipped on the first floor there was the pulsating blue orb of energy Skip yep. that. You skipped that. Um, you went upstairs, and there were the uh, the wooden creations that were bustling about that you encountered, and that you asked for directions, and then you were then you noped out of trying to figure out what they were or dealing with them any any more than that. There was the floor above that when you looked at the dungeon ta- or the, the the tower for the first time. You looked out a window for the first time, and you saw not the outside of the tower, but you saw. Um, as if you were on the ground floor and not the third floor, you saw out onto a swamp where you could have climbed out the window and very comfortably hopped down onto a swamp floor and, and, and walked out into a swamp. And you didn't do that. Um, you went up another floor and you were looking out the window onto into basically space, into a formless void with stars and asteroids, you know, rocks spinning in place, suspended in weightlessness. 
and uh, or with with no or very limited microgravity, and you didn't engage with that. You saw that horrible creature that was very toad-like and humanoid-like. You didn't engage with that window. You didn't engage with that content. Then you go upstairs, and boom, here's the library. So you find the library on the fifth floor. You deal with 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 you, you at that point. You reengage with content. So the orb, the golems, the swamp, and the void four major things that you didn't engage with. Yeah. Think about it rationally, though, right? We were not equipped to deal with a door. What makes us think we're equipped to deal with interdimensional swamps and space frogs? So, Mike, you you mentioned this feeling of dread. And it's funny, because Brian's like, I didn't feel any danger. And Mike was like, I felt like everything was dangerous. Oh, I mean... Yes, absolutely. When I say I didn't feel any danger, uh, I mean, I felt... Well, yeah, we we, we talked about that. We're, We're... I just mean to say that, Mike, when when you had that feeling of dread, is all the mysteries and all the weird stuff in this wizard's tower, which would be a terrifying thing to go through in reality, a wizard, a real wizard's tower, is that what gave you that sense of dread? All this Abs- stuff? Absolutely. And I was totally playing up to my character in that too, right? I am a simplistic dullard. I see rock. I smash it. I follow orders. I don't even know if my character would be able to comprehend the vastness of space, much less how it could be contained in a tower window and there is a space frog hopping from planet to planet in contained window space, right? So when I was having those reactions, I was kind of doing two things. I was like saying, oh no, we as a party are not equipped to handle this and oh no, my character's brain has no idea what's happening and he is mortally terrified. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was sort of doing the same thing. Like my character, I play my character as bright, but not like overly so and definitely not wise. So my character is smart enough to try to keep keep himself alive, but, uh, and you know, to know like, hey, this is crazy, but also like I'm going to nope out because if I can get past this without dying, I'm going to. Fair enough. All right, so good continue. So continue. You still don't know anything about the 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 golems, the orb, the swamp, or the void. No, and I and I love that. I love that I don't know. So keep telling you, or keep not telling you what you missed. Yeah, because I mean, it's kind of like there's so much stuff in the world that you can't experience at all, and it's kind of like it's it's like the song "Strangers in the Night." It's kind of like that. So uh, it's just. You know, just you'll have to always wonder, but uh, I will have the memory of not knowing. And if you had told us, like at the end, uh, yeah, I would have probably forgotten about it. So, oh yeah, I, here's what was going on with that swamp. Yeah, no. yeah, I agree, and I think it also creates a lot of in- interesting opportunities to maybe tie that stuff back together in the future. So, you know, if if we do wind up playing this campaign against Brian's wishes, you could always be like, hey, you remember that space frog? Yeah, here he is. Deal with him now. Or, hey, you're in a swamp, and you come across a window floating in the middle of the swamp. Oh, yeah, that exactly. would be awesome. Exactly. By the way, that wouldn't happen. Um, okay, so, Mike, you have two continues down here. I think my first continue kind of ties into just what we were talking about, right? So, continuing threatening us with the unknown and, and making us make those gambles for the possibility of greater rewards or renown. Um, I think what was striking about this session 
was that it felt a lot like the Tomb of Horrors, except we did not have the option of additional lives. And I know it's been a while since we talked about the Tomb of Horrors, but right, we, we dissected that, right? We sliced it up and carved it into every little tiny detail and wound up not losing, you know, a life over three sessions. But this reminded me a lot about that. It's just like obvious danger, obvious peril. And are you going to make the gamble of maybe making some really stupid moves for the potential success? And and where is your line for that, for that success? So I really like that. I like that you're drawing us in things that are kind of obvious, but maybe you can win. Maybe you die. I, I do kind of like that. I like how realistically your characters treated it. Yeah. Like, ooh, this is fascinating, but we're not here for this. And, and I kept saying, like, do you break the plane of the window? Like, absolutely not. I remember you saying that, Mike. Absolutely not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm like catty corner, like up against the wall. If I maybe lean over, I can look at it, but no. <laughs> All right, so keep making you gamble. Keep threatening you with the unknown. What's your other continue? Um, the other continue is something we, uh, we did in a previous uh, uh, session, and we did in this session of the same campaign where we started out the game of everybody takes a slip of paper, write down one thing that's true or one thing that happened to the other player in between sessions pass that paper and we pass them all around so by the time you get your paper back it's got a couple of things that someone else has said or created for or about your character and then you choose which one to keep brian what'd you think of that well usually stuff like that i'm not crazy about so it's almost kind of like that forced corporate training where you have to you know share something about you and it's you never want to share anything that's really interesting it's usually just you know you just try to get through it because you just want to get done with the training and you get back to work but you know in this case it's kind of like i offloaded something that i didn't want to do to somebody else so i was able to uh like you know it might it's my character i'm some i i have some level of investment in this character and I don't know that I necessarily want to create the backstory for my character. I don't want to be, you know, right now in this moment, you know, stuck with something that I come up with. But if somebody else comes up with it and I just ha I have basically an option one or option two, that just makes it easier on me. And in, in that respect, I, I thought it was great. I love it for two reasons. One is I think it's always so much easier to do someone else's work than it is your work. You're emotionally tied up, like even even literally at work. And we don't often, or maybe we've never talked about this, but Mike used to actually report to me at work for real, like professionally. Yep. And Mike, do you remember when I, when we do staff meetings, we do all kinds of like crazy activities that were very work related. It wasn't like stupid activities that we didn't do anything with. It was, it was very much based on, Hey, let's go find money. Let's go find process. Let's go find work. Yeah. Do you remember the time I had you all do each other's work? Vaguely. I think I do remember that. Yeah, where you had someone else write requirements and someone else try to do some stuff in access. Yep. And my theory with that was sometimes your work can be really tough to start. You're emotionally tied up in it. You're invested in it. You have hangups about it. You dread it. You know, it's it's really tough to be enthusiastic about your work and even start it. And there can be a huge barrier to getting started. But it's really easy to do someone else's work. It's really easy to be more detached and more cerebral and not as emotionally invested. It's why people, you know, for years can give you personal advice that you know you should listen to, but you just can't. Like, hey man, you really should dump that chick. Or, hey lady, that dude's not for you, he's a jerk. Like your friends around you can see that, but you can't see it because you're too tied up in it. Um, 
doing having everyone else do things for your character I think helps your character develop in a way that may not be obvious to you because you're too emotionally invested in experiencing life as your character versus plotting life for your character. That's reason number one I like it. Reason number two I like it, when I play in Martin's game and we come back to the table after weeks away from the table to to pick up these characters again, I have this insane desire that I have to suppress every single session to have optimized all of our time away from the table. Like, hey, it's been like three, like Martin opens a session with, it's been about three or four months, and I want to stop and say, I got a job, and now I have a lot more gold. You know, I want to optimize that downtime, you know what I'm saying? And yep, this yep. this doesn't let you optimize it. Other people tell you what, what happened. Other people, and you can't optimize the downtime. And if I started, if, if, if Martin started our sessions that way, where we haven't optimized downtime, but things did happen in the downtime, it makes the characters feel more real, and it takes away that temptation to optimize the downtime. So I, I love doing that exercise. I'm going to keep doing that for sure. Now that you've said that out loud, however, the next time we do this, we are all absolutely going to write pro-optimization of downtime things for each other's characters. I guarantee it. Yes, that, that is true. <laughs> so, Mike, what happened to Brian's character since the last adventure? He found a plus five bow. He became the empire of the world and subjugated everyone in his wrath. It turns out he's the avatar of a living god. Who would have guessed? It it was like a week. (laughs) Things I should not have said. Okay. Um, That's it for the start, stop, continue. Uh, Good feedback, guys. Any last words at all about the session? Um, I'm a little sad that Brian doesn't like World of Dungeons. It's okay. It's not my favorite, though. I, you know, I, the fact that the GM doesn't roll like attacks and stuff that, that bothers me. I love that. I really like that. I put that as a good on our strengths that we'll talk about here in a minute. <laughs> I love, I love that GMs don't roll for that. Okay. Well, that's it for the session that we played in World of Dungeons. So thank you for listening. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them lessons learned, and we're sharing ours with you. <laughs>